Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave, that's me. My guest on this episode is Dr. Anne Brock. It's fair to say that she has something of a dream job. She's the master distiller for Bombay Sapphire, overseeing their Laverstoke distillery and the spirit for all of the Bombay brands. I spoke to Dr. Anne while she's in Melbourne, where she's launching their latest gin, Bombay Sapphire Premier Crew. And in this conversation, we talk about the lessons she learned as a bartender before she became a distiller and how the nature of the day-to-day work as a distiller is similar to that of a bartender. We talk about how she managed COVID and its potentially career-ending loss of smell, why the human nose still can't be beaten by science and tech just yet, and what it feels like to see the things you make at work end up in the hands of bartenders around the world. Here's my chat with Dr. Anne Brock. Dr. Anne Brock, thanks for joining me today on Drinks at Work by Boothby. Nice to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So you're the master distiller at Bombay Sapphire, and it's the kind of job I think it's fair to say a lot of people might consider as a dream job. You started studying medicine to begin with. You kind of got tired of that. Then you spent some time as a bartender. How did you come to be a distiller? Yeah, it's it's something. I often talk about my journey to being a distiller as one of being in the right right place at the right time and a bit of serendipity. Um, I obviously, as, as you mentioned, I'd, I'd left med school and become a bartender. And when I went back to university after after about four years, I studied chemistry. And I studied chemistry because it was the, the subject I loved at school. And yeah. having always, you know, when you've always wanted to be a doctor, it's such a vocational career choice. It's, I was so set on what I wanted to do. And the second you join med school, your whole life's planned out for you. You know, you're, you're qualify at this age, then you'll become a consultant, then you're special, you know, all these, all, all these landmarks are rolled out in front of you. And when you leave that, suddenly there's this gaping hole ahead of you <laughs> that is your, that is your life. And it, it feels a bit daunting. So um, I, I didn't want to go down a path where the rest of my life was laid out for me again because because it was so hard to leave and I decided I wanted to get a degree and I decided that the best thing to do was to be go and do a subject I, I loved and I was interested in and, and that for me that was chemistry so I did that degree and when you when you do chemistry um when you do any science degree unfortunately it doesn't shut doors so it doesn't help you <laughs> decide what you want to do because at the end of it you're very very employable which is great but when you're a bit lost as to what you want to do with your life it does make it difficult so i got to the end of my um masters and i really enjoyed doing the research Um, So I stayed on and did a PhD, but I knew that I didn't want to be a research chemist for the rest of my life. So I sat down and I started to think, well, what is it that I enjoy about research and what is it that I don't find appealing about going into the city or working in a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical industry? And, And I think it was that element of having something practical to do. So, you know, when you're, you're a bartender and you've had a manic shift and everything's gone wrong, but the team have pulled it together. You smashed it and you finished the shift. You're absolutely exhausted, but there's a real sense of achievement. I wanted to have that in my, in my day-to-day job. And so I, I knew I wanted to have this practical element to it, but I really didn't still struggled with what to do until a friend actually just it was, it was like he was my guru. He just sort of turned around at a wedding and said, well, you love spirits yeah, and you're a chemist. Why aren't you looking at distilling? Well, why not bring these two together? Yeah. 
And so it was, I, you know, you talk about light bulb moments. It really was one for me. And right. I almost felt stupid that I hadn't thought about it before. But yeah. I, I guess I, you don't hear about, or certainly at the time, it was before this sort of explosion or the explosion in craft distilling was just starting. Mm. So it was like, well... Um, there weren't really the career, you know, it wasn't considered a career. Well, it's, it's not like your careers advisor at high school goes, hey, would you like to be the oh, stiller no. one day? Yeah, that's for you. you Absolutely <laughs> not. Doctor, lawyer, teacher. Doctor, lawyer, teacher. Done. <laughs> well, what was it about? Was it gin distilling in particular that you were drawn to? Yes, what absolutely. was that? I love gin. Right. And when you're a distiller, when you're working in the, in, in the industry producing any kind of product, yeah. you're... You interact with it daily, you're nosing it, you're tasting it. You have to have a passion for it. Um, and, you know, I, I do get to some weeks where it's been tough at the distillery and I think, oh, I hate gin. But actually, at the end of the day, you know, I had I had two days off here in Australia and what did I do? I ended up going and visiting some gin distilleries. So yeah, okay. I, I love it. Um, and it's something that even... Well, I've always been a gin distiller for 10 years now and I, yeah, I still am madly passionate about it. Yeah. That sounds crazy to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love gin, but you know, I just, I have to double everywhere. I can't, you know, can't, can't commit to one thing. Um, well, what did your time as a bartender teach you? Were there any lessons that you sort of drew from working in hospitality that maybe would apply now? Oh yeah, definitely. I think so when I came to the end of my degree and I was writing my CV to, to go out into the jobs market, my careers um, service actually told me to hide those years of working as a bartender and backpacking because, you know, they said it, it wouldn't stand me in good stead. And I refused to because I'm really proud of those four years. Mm. Um, I think they're the four years that have made me the person that I am today and therefore the person who could do the job I do today. Right. And there's so many different elements of it. Teamwork, obviously, you know, mm. you cannot survive in a bar, a busy bar, unless you've got a brilliant team around you. Yeah. Um, patience and humility, because dealing with the public, particularly the inebriated public, <laughs> is something where you, you have to do a lot of deep breathing and a mm. lot of, um, you know, a lot of poker face. <laughs> it doesn't help to be a hothead, no. <laughs> Absolutely. Um and yeah, and I think I think then just you work crazy hours, you work long hours, and yeah. it's finding, understanding that to do that, you need to find the joy in what you do. Yeah. I'm sure this is a question you get a little bit, and I know it's a difficult one to answer, but what does, for people who don't know what a distiller does it day in, day out, what does a typical day look like for you? Because, I mean, you're the master distiller as well. You've got a team of distillers. Yes, I do. Yeah, absolutely. So at Bombay, we've got, um, so we work 24-7. So it's yeah. seven days a week, 350-something days a year. Um, and I'm in Australia now and gin is still being made. So I, I have a team, I have a team around me um, looking looking after the gin on a day-to-day -day basis. They work 12-hour shifts mm. and they monitor the stills and they load the stills with the botanicals. And I oversee them um, and I oversee a team of 12 distillers. Right. I've got a couple of spirit quality technicians who um, run all the panels and the nosing and the tasting for me. Um, obviously, I take part in those, but they'll put them out so they're blind panels for mm. me so I don't know what I'm nosing when I go in mm. um, and I've got a couple of distillery engineers and some planners and um, health health and safety people so it's it's a big team because 
you know, dealing with alcohol, um, there's a lot of restrictions around it, you know, from a safety point of view, but from yeah. a legal perspective. So you need people managing all those. But from my perspective, I think um, there's one thing that rules my day to day, and that's the quality of the spirit. Right. So no matter what, and this is something I struggled with as a chemist, actually coming into distilling, that no matter how great a technical piece of spectroscopy equipment is, it is not better than the human nose. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I've, I've been fortunate enough to be to Lavastoke and sort of have a little bit. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I had a look around and I could see some equipment there. I don't know quite what mm-hmm. it is, but it looked technical. And I wanted to see how much of that, how much of that day-to-day is governed by, you know, the, the tech stuff that will help you do the job or the, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of science involved in distilling. There's a ver- there is a lot of science involved in still, and so we have a gas chromatography machine, um, yeah. and that we use to um, run basically traces of all the gin we produce, and that just gives us an idea of the main compounds that are in the gin that right. they're coming off in the right place. It won't tell us if the gin's right or not. Yeah, you can have two. You could, I can pick up two samples of Bombay Saffron. I think one's great and one's different and not right. Mm. They look exactly the same on the gas chromatography. Right. And that's, therein lies the issue because then you're having to try and find what's gone wrong and you can't. there's no machine that can tell you that. And that's where your skills as a distiller and looking at the botanicals and looking at the distillation process, the profile, mm. cut points, you have to go back to those. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, it's not a, it, it, I can't, at the moment, I can't see a technology that will ever replace the human nose and so my distillers are all trained to nose and taste the spirit throughout the distillation throughout the all every single distillation process which is why i've got people on site 24 7 Mm. and i knows every single knows and approve every single batch right so given the last couple of years with the pandemic and this particular thing that's been going around the world that you know results in the loss of smell and taste how have you had to manage that thing then given that the nose is so important Yes, that was obviously my biggest fear was getting COVID and yeah. losing my sense of taste and smell. And it's a potential I mean, we, career ender for you, though, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I mean, we were we were very strict with with COVID protocols on site anyway because we're such a small team. It sounded like a big team when I when I said it then, but actually, day to day we've got two distillers on site because they're working twelve hour shifts, so they work a shift pattern. Gotcha. Um, and so if any of my team got sick, the production of Bombay Sapphire would be affected. Mm. Um, so we had to be really strict on site. We absolutely whittled it down. So you know, if you've been to Lavastoke, you know we've got a beautiful visitor centre there. We shut that mm. very early on to protect my team. Yeah. Um, and um, which was amazing, the visitor centre teams. I thank them for their sacrifice. You know, they 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 understood the importance of, of protecting my team. And yeah. we're we're still quite strict on site with with rules and regulations. Um, I was lucky. I have had COVID, but I had it recently. It was mild right. and my sense of taste and smell wasn't affected, but that was my biggest fear. Yeah. I mean, because I was I'm listening to a story about how there were uh, like dogs can pick up COVID better than some of the equipment that we've got because we can't, we can't model the human nose as well as no. we might like to want to do so. I thought that was fascinating. No, absolutely. Well, yeah. Dogs' noses are brilliant, and you know you can use them to do things like detect TCA in barrels. That yeah, they're incredible creatures. Right, but they can't really replace the distiller at the at the distillery. 
I mean, <laughs> do you know what? I've I've thought about trying just because I quite like a distillery pet, but I'm not but, sure about the health and you know the quality, health and safety aspect of having that. <laughs> I can see how that might be a problem. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how important is your job uh, in your job to be a manager of people then? Very. You, yeah. Did you have experience doing this beforehand? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> and that was that was um, one of the biggest, uh, I think, biggest areas that I had to really focus on when I took the job on. You know, when I when I started before I before I worked at Bombay, I was um, uh, running a small craft distillery in central London. So there was mm. myself as a distiller. I had a colleague who was sort of sales and brand ambassador type role. And then we had um, the guy, the owner who didn't really get involved in the day to day running of the business and yeah. some part time staff to sell bottles at the weekend. So it really didn't, people management didn't really come into my day to day. Um, and it's, it's, it's a skill. It's, it takes up a lot of time. Um, I've got a fantastic team. I'm really lucky. Um, I'm really proud of the team I have. Mm. Um, well, you know, I trust them. I'm, I'm out in Australia right now and I'm, I'm happy that they're getting on with things and that they're doing a great job. So, but yeah, that, that was, um, it was those sort of leadership skills were, were really where I had a lot of sort of a big jump up in my in my skill set needed. Yeah. You know, making gin is the same whether you're making it on a small still or a large still. Um, yeah. So I, I felt confident that I had the technical ability to do the role. It was then just those sort of soft skills that that I needed to really work on. Yeah, maybe hospitality helped there. I suspect. Well, yeah, except I, I never rose to the. I never did people management. I always stayed. I was the oh. team causing the issues. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. Bombay's a well-known, well-established brand. I imagine much of the job day-to-day is, as we were talking about before, ensuring the quality and doing a lot of little things really well. But does that, do you ever find that that gets monotonous and maybe even boring? No? Absolutely not. I, one of the reasons I struggle with the question, what, what does your day-to-day look like, is because honestly, I get up on a Monday morning and I know what meetings I've got in the diary and I know what production is needed to, for the mm. bottling line and I know I know the I know the big picture things but yeah. I have no idea what I'm going to walk into on a Monday morning it's a production site sure. it never quite goes to plan um we're either running ahead or behind schedule we'll have um and issues can come from any angle you know obviously we've had covid which was a huge thing to deal and uh like like over here the rules change daily so we're constantly yeah. trying to stay stay ahead of those we've got obviously the global supply chain issues at the moment um that we're that we're fighting with with exports and just tanker movements you know we, right. we need to move liquid around and we need someone to be able to drive them to drive those tanks for us um i mean anything but we even i mean just a couple of weeks ago a couple of months ago we had a storm at lavastoke right. which um we we lost all power to the site for 36 hours oh, wow. and we're we're in quite rural hampshire so the internet went down and there's no phone signal luckily luckily i was working from home in london that day and i they had just enough phone signal to be able to text me so i could call out and get like, get the information for them so you oh, wow. you never you can never guarantee uh, what's going to happen in your week but that's one of the joys of this job yeah. you know you're, you you don't get bored and if you ever have a quiet day it just means you can get on with some of the really exciting strategic forward looking pieces mm. that that's so important for for a site like Lavastoke and a brand like Bombay. How, how do new releases like the Bombay Sapphire Premier Crew come about? Is that 
Is that a combination of marketing and you, or is it you driving the thing? It's yeah, it's always a combination at some at a certain stage of the project because right. if if we don't have the the marketing and the the markets backing the product we do, it's never it's never going to see the light of day. Sure. Um, but the the liquid really is a, um, a sort of a collaboration between myself and Ivano. Um, Ivano Tanuti is our master of botanicals, um, and I obviously manage the distillation. So we'll we'll work together to decide. We'll either have an idea of a botanical we want to use. Or right. a style of gin we want to um, we want to produce, and obviously our starting point for all of these products is going to be that core Bombay DNA. Yeah, and we use vapor infusion as a distillation process, which means we can get particular flavors that um, a steeper boil process might not be able to get. So there's there's definitely an element of playing around and having some fun, but at some point when we start to to pull these liquids together, we'll we'll start to talk to the marketing teams and see whether it's products that they're interested in and whether they 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 want to you know they they see it having having a place in the market. Right. Do you ever do you ever consider going wildly off piste with anything with Bombay, or does it always got to have that sort of core Bombay character? And I guess what I wanted to ask you is what makes Bombay Bombay to you? So Bombay is an incredibly balanced gin. Ivano always talks about it like being a sphere in flavor. Mm-hmm. They're all perfectly balanced. So when you're drinking it, you go through a journey, but no one flavor stands out or fights or um, overwhelms the others. And that actually makes it quite hard to use that as a DNA for another gin because we always want to make beautifully balanced gins. So mm. if you add a little bit more citrus, you've distorted the sphere. Yeah, And so you've got to sort of build it out in other directions as well to keep that balance. So that's where the challenge lies. Um, in terms of going off piste, yes, I always love thinking about going off piste and doing new things. Um, and maybe we'll see that come, that's, that happen. But um, I think we've just got so much we can do on with, with Bombay Sapphire at the moment that we're excited by that. Mm. Yeah, well, I think it's... I think having some sort of bounds there sometimes with creativity is, is often oh. makes it more difficult, right? But also but more also creative. More creative, but sometimes actually it's it can be quite daunting sitting down with a blank piece of paper. Yeah. If you've got some structure there to kickstart ideas and thoughts, it's sometimes less nerve-wracking and less daunting. I've before working at Bombay, I always had a sort of what I would call a backbone of a gin that I would start with, which was a particular combination of juniper, coriander and angelica. Sure. A bit of citrus. And you could choose which citrus, but a bit of citrus. And then you'd build from there. Um, and I think that backbone is so important because that's what gives most of the gin its character. The top dressing of all the little funky botanicals, yeah. they bring they bring the uniqueness into the gin. But as long as you've got that strong backbone, then you're you're on a good path. Yeah. What, what do you make of the worldwide demand for gin at the moment? Because it doesn't seem to have let up. And I've spoken to a few gin people for this podcast. And just, I mean, I, I always ask, are we at peak gin yet? And it just doesn't seem to be getting there. No, and I, I think that's what's exciting. I mean, we've still got a huge, huge opportunity in many countries in the world. We, you know, it's really only a very small developing market in some countries. We're only starting to see it pick up at the moment. Mm. If you look at gin as a percentage of the overall white spirits market, it's very, very small. With, yep. There's a lot more vodka drinkers we can recruit, so you know we've got to go, we've got to start doing that. And that's a big opportunity for us. Um, I think it differs as well depending on where you are in the world. I thought that COVID, I worried that COVID might 
slow it down because I think you're seeing a lot of the growth is being driven by you know this interest in craft and people um, finding their local craft brand and maybe not have founding not having found a gin that they appreciate before and understanding a craft one and then exploring from there and mm. going back to back to classics like Bombay but um, so I thought the COVID might slow the growth of craft down um, or even start to see some contraction in the market yeah um, not seeing it hugely at the moment which is really really positive what advice do you have for people who are maybe perhaps interested in a career in distilling what are the traits that you think you have and the characters that you have that help you do your job that make you well suited to being a distiller i think there are some things that that are natural so i can obviously smell well <laughs> you know I, I didn't know i have a good nose until i started in the industry right. um, part of part of my recruitment process for bombay was a was a sensory sensory test um, what are to, the kind of things they do in a sensory test so it's different so a triangle test so you'll have um two some two spirit types of bombay the same one that's different you have to pick the different one out describe why it's different and what you think makes it different and that could be different because they've put a little bit more lemon in that one or because it's they've given you bombay original or bombay sapphire so can you pick the difference between those two yeah. we also um take sort of off notes um say say we'd accidentally blended it with i don't know some uh, there'd been some residue of something in the in the tanker when we'd loaded it you put a little bit into a glass and use that as a reference and then you have to order the other five glasses in terms of least to most oh, wow. um contaminant so quite quite tricky and yeah. it's also it's quite difficult for me because i i like exams but i like written exams where i know that i know the answer it's very difficult in a sensory exam because you don't know whether you've got it right or not and actually i left that interview thinking oh well you know that was fun to go and experience it <laughs> <laughs> but apparently I, I didn't make the mess of it. I thought I did. Um, right. But I think in terms of other qualities for a distiller, passion, a real interest in the spirit. I think there's an element of understanding that being a distiller isn't just creating new products all the time. It's that coming back to what you said earlier about, do I get bored? No, there's, <laughs> there's a beauty, there's a beauty in the day to day. And there's something I get a real um, thrill out of knowing that we've had a great production week and we've, we've met all our, met or even beaten all our, you know, all our plans for the week. Mm. And I think you need to have, but again, that's similar to being behind a bar, you know, you was... ha there's a lot of day to day, Operations in the bar is the setup, it's the close down, it's the yep. just getting those drinks out. Being creative in a menu happens. Rarely, yeah. Rarely, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, so there is that element of, of procedure that you have to be happy with, which you get through working in a lab, through working in a bar. Um, and I think you have to understand it's going to be long hours, it's early mornings, it's late nights. For me, it was very important. You cold and damp a lot. <laughs> Which I, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Are you, do you consider yourself more of a, like a detail-oriented person or like more of a big, big picture, big vibe kind of person? Ooh, I think I'm – I think it's spectrum, but I'm towards the end of – more towards the end of big picture. Yeah, right. Than, than detail. I think, um, and I don't know whether I've become that over the years. Certainly when I was doing my PhD, I had to be very detail-oriented because it was always the recording of the results and it was the making sure the purifications were happening and you were keeping track of everything. 
Um, but now, because I've got this incredible team who do a lot of the day-to-day detail, I'm, my focus is a lot more on big picture. You know, mm. what does the next 10 years look like for Laverstoke? What do I want my team to look like in five years? What What's going to... Because yeah, it's it's interesting. Obviously, I work for Mummy Sapphire, but my sort of my team is Laverstoke. So, what do we want that that distillery to look like? You know, it should it should be one of the leading distilleries in the world, and and also um, obviously the sustainability angle as well. So, it's that big picture of how do we reach net zero? How do we grow the brand as well as the the distillery? And mm. um, how do I make sure I've got this great team of distillers that are coming up behind me, um, hopefully to steal my job one day? Yeah, it doesn't sound like a small job. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I do get to come to Australia. So, <laughs> yeah. what what is it like when you travel? I'll, I'll wrap this up in a sec. But what's it like when you travel and you do see the stuff that you make, and you have you're spending all your day to day within bars like all over the world? That must be something kind of special. Yes. You, there's no better feeling in the world than when you see a bartender in a foreign country pick up a bottle of your gin and use it to make a cocktail. It just it's I don't get tired of seeing the blue bottle. I really yeah. don't. I I am that idiot in duty free taking a selfie with the Bombay bottles. Um, yeah, and my you know my team are the same, and that's how I know they have passion. You know, they might not travel as much as I do for work, but they obviously go on holiday with the family, or they, they, even their kids. They'll go into the supermarket, and their kids will be running up to the Bombay Sapphire bottle, going, "Daddy makes that." You know, it's, <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> that's really nice. That's really nice. Well, Dr. Anne Brock, thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your trip in Australia. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you to Dr. Anne Brock for joining me and thank you to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please give it a rating on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got some thoughts on this episode you'd like to share, my email is sam at boothby.com.au. It would be great to hear from you. Until next week, this has been Drinks at Work by Boothby. 